<laughs> Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> <laughs> Good evening. You're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome, dear listeners, to the first episode of Season 11. What do we have in store for you? Well, what you certainly tune in to hear every week. More tales to tickle your terror bone. More sleepless nights beneath sheets that won't protect you from what waits just outside your door. And, of course, me, leading you down those dark and twisty paths. I'm your host, Otis Jarry, and in this episode, I'll be performing four tales to terrify you, courtesy of author David Niall Wilson. Tonight, we'll encounter storytellers with a taste for the macabre, fellows who seek to know more than they should, that sometimes it's not the unknown you should fear. And finally, some searches for answers don't lead to the end we seek. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first two spine-tingling stories. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with Twice the Terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail. So lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show is about to begin. <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Somewhere out near the ocean shore, you may find yourself outside a tattoo parlor. 
Jesus is the name, and inside you can find a very talented fellow who goes by the apt moniker of Chance. Chance will do you a solid if that's all you want, but he's looking for the right job. Something daring, new, fresh, exciting. And tonight, you'll have one patron that will give him exactly what he wants. But perhaps what he wants isn't exactly what we expect. Without further ado, I present to you to dream of Scheherzade. The sun had just set, and business was unusually slow. The midday heat was hovering just above the pavement, mixing with the moisture from an ocean breeze to form a cloak of hot, damp lethargy that settled over the downtown streets like a shroud. Chance sat, staring out the window toward the street, and wondering where the next month's rent would pop up from. It was a habit, worrying about money. There was one skinny, obviously runaway kid, looking fixedly at the flashcard of half-naked women in the clutches of various demons. But there was no real business in sight. As the streets faded to dusk, he flicked the switch beside his chair and brought the cheap pink and blue neon sign to life out in the street. Tattoos. The word would blink on and off like a beacon throughout the evening and into the night, drawing those with nowhere better to go like moths to a lantern. Business at Aces came in three types. There were the regulars, street people, bikers, rock musicians and fans, soldiers, sailors, and marines. For them, tats were a way of life, a badge of individuality, almost a part of their clothing. Next came the impulse buyers. These were young girls on a night away from home, runaways with a few dollars or a nice ass, businessmen with one or two too many drinks in their system, housewives whose husbands were out of town trying to spice up their lives. These were less frequent, though often more interesting than the regulars. Then there were the special cases. Chance lived for those moments, the moments where his talent might truly make a difference to someone. A special case was someone who truly believed in tattoos as art. These were the driven and the obsessed, customers who would either bring in incredibly detailed ink or pencil drawings, prints, things that were unique and challenging. The best of them were those who left the art to him. Chance had no illusions about his career as an artiste. He was a tattoo artist, and that was what he would remain. The money was sometimes good, sometimes not there, and occasionally amazing. The rewards were the same. Most of the time he'd spend his evenings tracing the same old stencils of Porky Pig and the Tasmanian Devil, daggers with snakes that proclaimed death before dishonor, and the customary hearts with mom emblazoned within their depths, motorcycle emblems, and band logos. It paid the bills, but it was meaningless drudge work. It was only the specials 
Jones that made it all worthwhile. The door swung open with a jingling of bells, and an oddly thin young man entered. The guy was wearing a black T-shirt, black pants, big hair that fanned out to surround a pale, chiseled face. Chance's first thought was musician. He recanted that almost immediately when he heard the man speak. You are the man called Chance? The words seemed to flow from two red lips. The man's eyes were wet, like those of a wild animal, full of emotion, deep. It was a long moment before Chance shook his head slowly and stammered a reply. Yeah, uh, yes, that's me. At first, the man didn't speak. He stared at Chance with those weird-ass eyes, scanned the walls surrounding them both quickly, then returned his stares. This is not your true work. Somehow, he knew the man was talking about the flashboards in the walls. He shook his head and answered, No, not mine. This is the stuff that we all do, what we share. My own work is in that folder over there. He pointed at a battered black binder on the room's one small table. Without a word, the man moved to the table and snatched up the book. He flipped the pages rapidly, one after another, drinking in the artwork. Once or twice, he paused, murmuring quietly over one piece or another. But as far as chance could tell, the dude was in another world. Suddenly, the man snapped his eyes from the book to meet Chance's own. You do custom work? If the price is right, Chance answered, trying to figure out why his heart was racing, why the skin on his arms was layered three deep in goosebumps. It wasn't like Charles Manson had come through the door, was it? The runaway, not liking the feel of the place, now that the stranger had come in, banged out the door in search of a meal, leaving them alone. Chance wished for a fleeting moment that the kid had stayed. The price is not an object, man said. His left hand had come slightly to rest on the countertop, and Chance's eyes were drawn to the ring he wore on his index finger. It was old, really old, tarnished gold with a red, deep stone set in its center. The stone was cut in the shape of a griffin, that ring alone, he assessed quickly, was enough to keep him in hamburger and beer for over a year. Yeah, well, what did you have in mind? He said cautiously. I might get busy here any second. The man's eyes blazed momentarily. Chance fell silent. Fine, let him call the plays. I've a story to tell, he said. I'll begin with my name, Alex. I want you to record my life. Chance could only stare at the man. You want me to tattoo your life onto you? In a sense, that's exactly what I want. Let me explain, then we can begin. There was no hint of discussion in the man's tone. It was an arrogant voice, filled with the strength of certainty, vibrant and Hypnotic. All Chance could do was listen. I've lived a very long time. You'll have to trust my words for their veracity. 
I've neither the time nor the inclination to prove myself. In all the years that I've lived, art has been the one constant, the one thing that I could always remind me that there was beauty in the world. I have always cherished it. I've known great artists more than you could dream. I've walked the halls of sculptors, played music with the bards. Every time, every age has its genius. My life has not been a thing of beauty, but of blood and violence, darkness and shadow. In this age, that's acceptable. In this age, mixing your very blood with the art is acceptable. You do this on a nightly basis. This is what I want, Chance. I want you to make me a work of art. I want to walk with the lines and hues of genius twinning across my limbs. I want to be the art. Seeing that Chance was about to speak, he held up a long, delicate finger to his lips. <laughs> no, let me finish, he smiled. There was no humor in that smile, no compassion, no debate. I've walked the streets of this city night after night and I've seen your work. There was a girl, Cindy, the horse with the gossamer wings of a butterfly. There was the city surrounded by a dragon overlooking a wizard's tower. A man named Billy. You would remember these. I see them, in them, the spark of a genius, beyond the scope to which it has been applied. I'm offering you transcendence, Chance. If you come through, if my eye is true, and you're the one, then I will pay you beyond your wildest dreams. I will pay you as one of the great artists of history would be paid, and you will have created a masterpiece. And if I blow it? Chance asked softly. If I am, after all, just another tattoo artist. What then? The man didn't answer. Words were there to be read in his eyes, in the dangerous, unsmiling curl of his lips. There would be no second chances. Tattoos were forever. I can't tattoo an entire life in one night, Chance said at last. It just isn't possible chosen the most important tale I have to tell, the man said, turning to flip the door lock and to turn the sign to close. We will start at once. Chance led the man into the back room of his studio, where the serious work was always done, and laid out his needles, inks, and alcohol in silence. There was nothing left to say. His heartbeat was running in overdrive, but his hands were surprisingly steady. He'd always said it was the specials that made his life worth all the crap he went through. Now it was time to make good on that. Put up or shut up, Chance, old boy, he thought, avoiding the stranger's eyes as he hurried through his preparations. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now 
All you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. As the man removed his shirt, leaning forward over the back of a chair, and brushing his hair to the sides, he began to speak. The words flowed forth to fill the room, and Chance felt himself calming, moving toward that peak, that edge where the creativity was automatic, that place where the magic comes from, that reveals itself to the world in the words of poets, the oil and pastel of the painters, the ink of the tattoo gun in his hand. He listened, and as he listened, he began to work. My brother was always favored, Alex began. Though I was swifter, more intelligent, stronger, he still was favored. Your brother is the eldest, my mother would tell me. He'll inherit everything someday. You must support him. Who, then, would be left to support me? In any case, Brian did not want my support. He wanted to humble me, to use his position as heir to perpetuate his own false sense of superiority. He wanted to be broken. This last was obvious to me, even if it was not to everyone around us, and I hated him for it more than I've hated any other in all the days of my existence. I avoided him whenever possible. There was the hunt, and there were my studies, neither of which interested him in the same way as they did myself. He spent his hours training with the older boys. He was weak, not the best with a weapon or a thought, but the other boys knew that one day he would be their liege, their duke, so they pandered to his arrogance. I took to spending more and more time at the hunt, ranging farther and farther from home. At times I'd be gone for days, always returning with more than the other hunters. Not that mother or father would ever take more than a passing notice. It was on such a hunt that I met Evander, and my true life began. Chance was beginning to feel a bit nervous. The things the man was talking about seemed like some elaborate fantasy, a folk tale out of history. If he were telling the truth, then he was either very delusional or much, much richer than chance had counted on. No one had estates in Southern California. No one that came to tattoo parlors on Broadway, anyway. Chance had begun in the center of the man's back, tracing the subtle, almost beautiful lines of the man's face as he listened, waiting for the vision that would surround those features to coalesce. He was irritated with himself for worrying over the strangeness of the tale. He needed to concentrate. What difference did it make 
if it was all some weird fantasy. If he recreated it, and that was what was desired, where was the harm in it? He shook off his concerns and concentrated, letting the story leak into his mind and direct his needle. Evander came into my fire one night, melting from the shadows more easily than a cat. He could have thrown my husk to the rodents and the crows with no more effort than a cat toying with a small bird, but he did not. He came to the fire, and we talked long into that night and again on the following evening. He didn't conceal his nature from me. Rather, he preened like a beautiful woman who demands admiration. He was truly beautiful. Beautiful in a way I had never considered possible, for one man in the eyes of another. His beauty was born of the darkness, drenched in the decadent, decaying edges of reality. Places parents warn children of and spend their nights embracing in worlds of dream. Alex's muscles tensed then, and Chance hesitated as the man spun, his eyes flashing to meet Chance's own, as if daring him to refute the statement or to laugh. And I don't mean in the way of some dandified little boy-gazer, either. The streets beyond your shop are ripe with those, but they pale in comparison. Evander's beauty transcended anything sexual in a way that was totally new to me. Rather than taking me at his leisure, he seemed to enjoy the seduction of it, convincing me to give of myself freely. I was never the same. I awoke to the night after he'd made me as himself. He was there, cradling my head, and feeding me the blood of a rabbit he'd killed, just enough to get me on my feet, to give me that chance. I never saw him again. He left me, The hunger rose, and I learned, learned fast, hard lessons, strengthening my abilities and savoring my moment of vengeance, which I knew had finally come. Chance felt a slight tremble rippling through his hand, but he steadied himself, continuing as though the madman in his chair was talking to him about the weather or some sporting event that they had a mutual interest in. Drinking blood beautiful men who drew you in with their eyes. These were more at home, in a role-playing game or a fantasy novel. He began to outline the slender shoulders, the wild, windswept hair. The story droned on, and he drank it in, dwelling on every syllable, every intonation. It was becoming obvious that his future might actually depend on his ability to transfer those words to body art. Chance was fond of the notion of having a future. It was two weeks after Evander left me alone in that clearing that I went to my brother. The family had not yet missed me, feeling certain that I was on another extended on, and that I'd be back soon. I came upon Brian at the setting of the sun, catching him just returning from a long ride. He'd left his horse with the groomsman, and was making his way to dinner when I stepped in from the shadows and grabbed his arm. Brother Alex, he said, as though glad to see me. You've returned. I trust we shall eat well tonight. Tell me, did you bring us a stag? 
much, much better than that, brother. I answered, not releasing his arm. I have a secret to share. A grand secret. I suppose you can promise not to tell? He struggled in my grasp, but I could have held him before the change and afterward. It was like a child to me. I smiled at him, letting him see my new smile, and without a further word I took him. He was so weak, so pathetic. He was drained and without life so quickly that my thirst was barely sated. Throwing him over my shoulder, I took off into the night, coming eventually to one of the hunting watches I frequently used. I'd already been there, barring the windows from the sunlight, and preparing a place for myself and for my dear, dear brother to sleep. He looked so pale, so helpless, and yet I had my true revenge still in store. When he woke that night, I was at his side. I held up a flask filled with the blood of a newly slain lamb, but I held it just out of reach. I will never forget his eyes, beseeching me, helpless. I poured that rich red blood down my throat and never let my eyes break contact with his. It was as though I could see him shriveling right before my eyes. Chance considered for the briefest of moments jabbing the needle through the back of this psycho's throat with every ounce of energy at his disposal and taking his chances with the truth behind the hypnotic power of Alex's voice as he lunged for the door. The tattoo drew him back, held him in place, enthralled. It was growing, spreading across the pale flesh with unbelievable rapidity. Background scenery had worked its way into the picture, a second face, like Alex, the duller, broader. He didn't know where the features had come from, but somehow he knew it was Brian. I stayed there with him for a week, each night finding a new revenge, a new torture. His struggles never weakened. The pain floating in his eyes never grew less intense. His eyes were afire with desperation final night, I came to him. I brought his fiancée, Gwendolyn. She came, trustingly. I told her I'd discovered him in the woods, and that he was hurt, that he needed her. It was true. If he could have gotten to her throat, he would certainly have slaked that need. I fed upon her as he watched, dragging the corpse in a close circle around him, letting the scent of the fresh blood surround him. He amazed me then, because he almost moved. Almost. Chance dabbed off the black ink, drawing the bright red to him quickly and returning to the flesh before him. Alex was only the backdrop now, his words the foundation. Chance was lost in creation, dead to the room surrounding him and the insanity of the moment. I climbed to the roof that night, tore the shingles from it with my bare hands. Alex continued. Then I ripped out the planking beneath so the moonlit shone in clear and bright. I waited with him there in that light and I told him my story. I told him that I was going to live forever, that I had proven finally and irrevocably who was the stronger, 
the better. I told him how our parents would find him eventually and would undoubtedly see what he had become. They would find Gwendolyn as well and draw their own conclusions. Then I smiled at him a final time, drinking in the pain in his eyes, and I left. I never looked back. Chance waited a few moments to be certain that the man was finished speaking. When there was nothing further immediately forthcoming, he chanced a comment of his own, casually, trying to keep the nerves dancing behind his heart from altering his voice. Somehow, he thought that showing fear in this man's presence would be a fatal mistake. You tell the story like it happened a long time ago, he said slowly. You don't look a day over nineteen. Don't I? The man pulled away gently, removing his skin from the touch of the tattoo needle before it could mar the design. He met Chance's gaze levelly, and the truth danced in his eyes. Deep eyes. Ancient. His body might be nineteen, might look nineteen, but there weren't enough days or years Chance's experience to plumb the depths of those eyes. Not flinching from that icy stare, Chance replied, You're remarkably well-preserved, then. Alex held the stare a moment longer, then burst into a gale of laughter that sounded like glass shattering on stone. There was a little humor in it, but Chance sensed, somehow, that the tension had been released. He allowed himself a grin. We're running short of time if your story isn't a fantasy, he said. I need to finish the blue, quite a bit of blue, before dawn. Nodding, Alex turned away once more. He told no more stories, and he showed absolutely no indication of pain, as the needle traced its lines across the taut skin of his back. It was almost like working on leather. Surprisingly little blood, no swelling at all. Christ, Chance cursed under his breath. The guy doesn't even flinch when I rinse with the alcohol. He etched in the final lines of blue, saving the last for the icy depths of Alex's eyes. It was his best work. A panorama of carnage, revenge, pain, and blood. It would have made a great album cover, he thought grimly have wanted to meet the band. With a small flourish, she slipped the gun into its stand on the table beside him and sat back. It wasn't getting light out yet, but there was a sort of morning glimmer through the windows, and an occasional car or delivery truck slid by. In the distance, a siren wailed. Without a word, Chance walked across the room and pulled aside a black shade on the wall. It hit a mirror, he then returned to his place directly behind the man and held up another mirror so that the tattoo was visible in the first. He waited, wondering what would break the silence. A gasp of delight, a grunt of satisfaction, or a scream of bloodlust. It was done, whichever way it turned out. As he was fond of saying, they may cure cancer someday, but tattoos are forever. Not literally since they could cut them off with lasers or buck knives. 
He'd seen both techniques. But in this case, he didn't think he'd be getting a second chance. Alex was staring into the mirror with an intensity that sent Chats's heart pounding. Whatever the man's reaction, it was not lukewarm. After turning first one way, then the other, observing every nuance of the design, every newly scarred inch of his flesh, Alex seemed satisfied. He turned suddenly, and without seeming to move, without so much as a whisper of a sound, he was at Chance's side, his lips nearly pressed to the artist's ear. I was not mistaken. You are superb. I don't know how you've done it. My brother lives and breathes after a fashion. In the limited world that is my flesh, his finest moment recaptured. You've done well. Chance breathed a sigh of relief, releasing pent-up breath he hadn't even been aware. He was holding. He was about to say something, probably something stupid, that he would regret. But by the time the thought began to make its way from his mind to his lips, he was alone. The light was growing stronger, slipping over the sill of the window and across the floor like bright gold. There was no one there. He heard the bell on the front door tingling, as though something had disturbed it. But there was no other indication that he'd been anything but alone all night. Not if you discounted the tray beside his table, the splotches of colored ink and blood, and the tremors that were seizing his muscles and plucking them like guitar strings. He made his way into the front of the shop in a daze, Something glittered on the counter, catching his eyes, and he walked over to glance at it more carefully. It was a small stack of coins, gold coins. There were six of them. Chance glanced out the window toward the street. He knew there would be nothing to see, no one watching. He picked up the coins, noting their weight, and let them fall into the pocket of his faded jeans. Suddenly, the weariness hit him. He'd been working intently for over seven hours, so caught up in the creation, in the art, and in the story that he'd hardly noticed the passing of time. He had noticed him, and now it was dragging at him with all its claws. Time to get home and hit a serious crash. Plenty of chances later on to find out about the coins and to think about what had happened. He let himself out, locking the door behind him, and headed quickly down the street toward his apartment. He fell into his bed a few minutes later, and knew nothing until nearly seven o'clock that evening. When he awoke, he couldn't be certain if the dreams of the previous night's events had happened in the tattoo parlor or in his dreams. It wasn't until he slipped into his jeans and felt the weight of the coins in his pocket that he knew for certain. Smoothing his hair back over his ears and splashing some water on his face, he dressed and headed out the door. He couldn't remember the last time he'd slept so late. There wouldn't even be time to eat a decent meal before work. He'd have to grab a burger on the way. Even hurrying as he was, it was nearly 8.30, and there was a small crowd of regulars waiting for him. He hadn't had a chance to check on the coins, so as far as he knew, 
His next month's rent was behind the curve. He opened the doors with a quick apology and got to work. On one sailor, a cover-up. Dark Black Panther over flowers and a lost love's name. On a young girl, a butterfly in the thigh, a smile and a promise. He declined. Jailbait. So it went. Dragons, emblems, names, and colors blended quickly into a blur that drew his thoughts away from the previous night and into the reality of the present. About 12.30, the parlor was cleared at the last of them. He'd done a decent night's work, despite the late start. It was always good near the military maydays. He was considering calling it a night, getting to his bed early, when Alex walked in. Chance never really saw the man walk in, but just the same, when he looked up from some designs he was shuffling and filing, there the man was. Alex was smiling, and in his hand he held forth an envelope. Chance stared at the man for a moment, letting it all register, letting himself realize that it wasn't over yet. Then he moved forward and reached out his hand. I took the liberty, Alex said, of having a friend take photographs. These are the prints I had made. Very good quality, I believe. And none too soon. Chance had no idea what the psycho was babbling about, but he took the proffered envelope and dumped the prints out into his hand. The quality was more than it was exquisite. Though the tattoo was fresh, the colors and the outlines, even the subtle shading he'd done with a single needle, had come through with remarkable clarity. It was as though the cuts his art invariably made had already healed. It usually is weeks before he could get such a glimpse of his work. They're for you, Alex said. Now, I'm ready to begin. Chance looked up, perplexed. Begin what? The work was complete. This is all there was. Oh, I realize that you captured the image as I gave it to you, Alex continued, before removing his shirt as if all decisions were made. I have another tale to tell you, and the hour is already late. I have lived a long life. There are many moments, many tales of darkness, passion, and shadow. I wish to capture them all. Where? Chance blurted. Your chest? We can do something there, maybe the thighs. They hold quite a bit. But an entire life is no way fitting on one body. Alex only smiled. Spinning, he showed Chance the gleaming unblemished skin of his bare back. Have nothing but time, my friend. And you are my chosen. Chance staggered back. Suddenly, the weight of the gold in his pocket seemed to drag him toward the door weighing on his soul. As long as we have our partnership, our collaboration, it will prove an interesting life. Maybe more than that. As one such as I can tell you, the possibilities are endless. Chance staggered backward, coming to rest against the counter. But before he could react beyond this, 
Alex had locked the door and turned back with a smile. My first love was years after my brother's death. Her name, it occurs to me, may prove poetic in this instance. They called her Scheherazade. I hope you enjoyed To Dream of Scheherazade by David Nile Wilson, as performed by yours truly. If you've enjoyed that tale and would love to read more from tonight's very talented feature author, you can help support him by visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash david-wilson. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash d-a-v-i-d dash W-I-L-S-O-N. You may recognize his work not only from a previous installment of our show, but from his storied work as a Bram Stoker Award winner. From his profile, you can find his website, davidnilewilson.com, for even more information. If you do decide to stop by the profile, please leave David a kind word and let him know you heard about him here on this show and that Otis Gyrie sent you. It would mean a lot to me. Thanks again for your support of this program and of tonight's featured author. I guess Chance will be working nights a lot more often in the future. I mean, it's not bad work, but the pay may be a little hard to trade in. Most local wineries might call themselves a tavern, but most haven't taken gold and silver since before, well, most of us were born. Eric Blunt is the subject of our next story. Like many of us, he seeks a little more out of life. Unlike many of us, though, the more he seeks is a reality beyond that which we know. A seeker of forbidden knowledge and strange phenomena, he believes he may be on the cusp of something great. But then again, great is in the eyes of the beholder. Without further ado, I present to you, from my reflection, darkly. It's been hours since I last saw Eric. A lifetime of shattered reality. An age of dissolving foundations. An eternity. I know I should go to him, should try to help, but I also know that he would not answer if I called, would not come to the door, were I to knock. I must look horrible, hair unkempt, face scratched from my attempt this morning to shave. Could not use the mirror. Truth begins with proof, yet I will fight it until death forces its own truth upon me, if that's the choice. I cannot bear to know what he knows, to see what he's seen. They may be watching, for they've even seen me. I will not look into a mirror. Eric Blunt, student of the arcane, philosopher of dreams, academic genius, was my best friend. I grew up a quiet, shy boy, uncertain of what I would do with the great gift of life ahead of me. Eric knew from the beginning what he wanted. He wanted to go beyond the gift, to see whence it came, and to follow it to the source. 
Life held no contentment for such a man. He inspired in me both awe and incredulous half-hero worship that even the ridiculousness of the bulk of his conjectures failed to stifle. He was incorrigible. It started harmlessly enough, or so it would have seemed. He spent hours alone poring over volumes of arcane wisdom, searching page upon page of words left behind by such luminaries as Eliphas Levi, Alistair Crowley, and Madame Blavatsky. He spent a good three years among the adepts of the modern Rosicrucian order. That was an amusing period, what with the candles and altars and assorted implements of their rituals. It proved not enough, though we claimed certain successes with these unlikely arts, was not happy with his progress. I'd be dead twice over before I could discover anything truly valuable at this rate, he complained one day. Had he been shown to the nearer point of truth, rationality aside, for it is the greatest of hindrances in this type of affair, suppose, say, a poet, while writing, is in some sort of rapport with some higher state of existence, or an artist. Certainly a writer can mold from mere words on paper images that warp reality as we know it, yet make it real for us at the same time. Are you saying, then, I asked with a grin, that our reality can be made less real by these arts? Not exactly, he answered. I'm trying to suggest, and I know that this will amuse you, but bear with me, that such creative acts have had a great part in the creation of our reality. I believe that, man, given a choice, sees, touches, and believes in what is most convenient or beneficial to man. Were enough people to decide to perceive red as yellow, would it be yellow? And all those who still saw red would be issued corrective lenses and labeled as abnormal. Surely you can't believe this is true of everything? I exclaimed, certain that I'd get the better of this argument. If that were the case, could we not disbelieve the chairs from behind us and send ourselves crashing to the floor? Eric's eyes momentarily shared my amusement, but only momentarily. The light of the hunter on a trail was in them, and I resigned myself to another period of his eccentricity. We spoke then of other things until the bottles were both dry. Eric then rose, bidding me a good night's sleep, and departed to the shadows of the streets. As he left, he stopped by the large, full-length mirror I kept beside my door. Being particular about my appearance, I'd purchased it some years before at an auction. He spoke no word as he gazed at his reflection, but his expression was odd as though struck for the first time by some peculiarity of his appearance. At the time, I paid this no mind. Since then, I've had occasion to dwell upon it in sharp detail. I wish to God I'd reached out and put my fist through the glittering surface and shattered it then and there, damning the risk to bone and skin. It was several weeks later that I decided to return Eric's visit. 
After procuring two bottles of Campo Viejo, 1972, I began the mile or so trek to his apartment. I seldom made use in those days of public transportation, and the risks of operating a private vehicle on the roadways grew less enticing with each passing headline. Eric felt the same. Our visits invariably began with one of us making the journeys across several residential blocks and through the paths of the municipal park. The trip was somewhat more uncomfortable on my part, with Eric living as he did among the more run-down tenements, and I hurried my steps upon reaching his side of the park. The front door to his building hung open, ganging loosely from one hinge. I made my usual mental note to prevail upon him to move out. His reasons for remaining in such seedy surroundings had always remained obscure to me, inheritance as the last survivor of a well-to-do family left him amply provided for. It's the freedom, Percy, he once told me. No women peering from their window to yours, discussing things that are no business of theirs, and drawing attention to where it's not deserved. People there respect your privacy, as long as you lock it away tightly enough. He had indeed succeeded in I knocked on the metal reinforced door loudly, nervously glancing every few seconds over my shoulder to the shadows that seemed to shift behind my back whenever I denied them my attention. After a few moments, I heard hurried footsteps within. Who is it? Eric called out, not opening at once. Percy, I answered. Only Percy, Eric. Come to return your visit and your wine. Open this door. You know how this place makes me nervous. There was a clatter of chains rattling of bolts and locks, and the door swung wide. I didn't enter immediately. A shock wouldn't allow it. The apparition before me hardly reminded me of my friend at all. He was gone, not in the manner of who starved, but as though he'd not slept for days, perhaps weeks. His eyes, bloodshot and dark with fatigue, darted about wildly, searching the shadows that had plagued me only moments before. I found my own fears magnified intensely. Pushing Eric aside, I darted into the room, slamming the door behind me. My God, man, I cried. What's happening here? You look half dead, not to mention delirious. You've even gotten me nervous. Come, he replied, to the den. I followed, depositing the wine bottles on a table in passing, and making a vain attempt to straighten my own disheveled appearance. I made to glance into the mirror in the hall, but to my consternation, it was curtained with a cloth of the deepest jet. I moved to pull it aside, and Eric leaped, his shaking hands clutching like talons, and grasped my arm with surprising strength. My hand stopped inches from the dark cloth covering the mirror, what? I stuttered, backing away and pulling my arm free. What the hell are you doing? I only wanted to comb my hair. Why in the places is the damnable thing covered anyway? Not yet. He hissed, tugging on my arm. First, come to the den. It's safe there. By this time, I was beginning to seriously fear for my friend's mental state. 
had seen him act in peculiar fashion on many occasions, but never to the point of inducing discomfort upon himself. It was only natural, and it made me not a little nervous about being alone with him in such condition. With a longing glance at the mirror, I allowed him to lead me through the beaded curtains that closed off his sanctum sanctorum from the more mundane parts of his home. This room had never failed to invite my curiosity, even my awe, I suppose, in the intricately piled and jumbled displays of occult bric-a-brac had offered. Shelves piled with dusty, ancient volumes and walls hidden behind brightly colored tapestry. It was truly impressive, or had been so on my last visit. Now it was filled with clutter along the walls. The furniture, even the rug, lay piled in corners, dragged as far as possible from the room's center. A brazier stood, small wisps of incense smoke, wafting sailingward from its coals, marking the very center of the floor. Around it was drawn a circle in white, perhaps six feet in circumference. Concentrically, a larger circle, seemingly burnt into the wooden floor, surrounded this. From the outer edge of the larger circle, the points of a pentagram shot outward toward the walls of the room. Strange symbols lined the space between the circles. With a final, entreating glance to be certain I'd followed, Eric leapt over the symbols to land, breathing in ragged gulps within the center ring. Come on, man, for God's sakes, he cried. I promise I'll tell you everything. You've got to get within the circle. Seeing no alternative but blind flight, I succumbed to his wishes, walking slowly into the circle. No, he cried, as my foot scraped accidentally across one of the symbols. Scrambling about on his hands and knees, he fervishly repaired the damage with a piece of charcoal from beneath the brazier. Sweating profusely, he turned to me, sinking to the floor. I know how this must look. He finally gasped. Silently, I believe he did not, but I listened as he went on. Believe me, if I could find a way to stop it, I would. There's no way out now. I've seen too much. What have you seen? I asked, sitting myself, opposite him on the floor. You look half dead, man. When was the last time you slept? Slept? His eyes grew vague, as though considering it himself for the first time. What day is this? He must be joking, I exclaimed. It's the tenth, of course. But surely you... Nothing at all is sure any longer, Percy. He cut me off. His eyes seemed hollow, vacant, and far away. I've found what I was searching for, you see. Nothing can ever be the same. Humor me. I forced a grin and explain exactly what it is you found. That seems a good place to begin to unravel this nonsense and return you to your senses. He looked at me with eyes filled with such anguish that my mind whirled in confusion. Nothing. He repeated. Nothing can be the same. I've rent the veil, torn it asunder, and I've peeked beyond it to that which is hidden. They're watching for me now, and I dare not leave the circle. They? I queried, 
palms beginning to coat with cold sweat. Who and where are they? We're alone here, alone in a room full of old relics, and scented smoke. No, that's only the outward appearance. He reached out, placing a pale, trembling hand on my arm, for emphasis. Do you remember our last conversation? We spoke of reality. I remember a silly notion you brought forth about reality being only a product of our own desires. Surely you weren't referring to that nonsense. I am, he stated flatly. I have come upon knowledge, forbidden knowledge. Now there is no way to turn back. Nonsense, I asserted, rising to my feet. You're coming out of here with me now, before this gets completely out of hand, and we're going to go see a doctor. Eric made no move to follow, only dropping his head pathetically into his hands. You don't believe me, he choked out. Percy, for God's sakes, I'm not neurotic. I fear for my soul. They're in the mirror waiting, waiting for me. It was worse than I thought. He was shaking uncontrollably, quivering in fear. Reluctantly, I resigned myself to humor him for the moment. Returning to my seat on the floor, I said, Eric, tell me then. Convince me of what you fear, and if you do not, then I will bear you out of here by the strength of my own two arms, and no nonsense. Staring intently into his shadow off beyond my shoulder, he began once more to speak. His voice had a distant, echoing quality, perhaps an illusion of the great empty chamber in which we sat and the growing shadows that surrounded us. Started with the sky, he began. I determined that, if my theory were correct, there would be something else behind every sight that met my eyes, a deeper level of reality. The question, of course, was how to see it. Knowledge or theory that something lies hidden in an illusion is not enough to dissolve the mental conditioning of a lifetime. I searched for hours, even trying hallucinogenic drugs, in an attempt to find a deeper truth in the sky. I found nothing. Then I had an idea. There are several occult practices in the realm of what is known as visualization. One is the manufacturing in your own mind, an image of such clarity that you can smell, even taste it. I studied this at great length during my time among the Rosicrucian order. I stopped the smile from flooding my features, but only just. My memories of Eric during the period he just mentioned were both amusing and vivid. He thought himself quite the sorcerer for a while. I decided, he continued, to take this concept one step further. Choosing the image of a great curtained window, I put myself into a deep trance and began to visualize in the manner of my training. I have quite a talent for this particular discipline. It took very little time to create my window. Previously, this image, as well as that of a great ornate door, had been used as links to certain realizations of self. Doors to my subconscious, you might say. This time I determined to go yet another step. I opened my eyes slowly, forcing the image to remain clear by deepest concentration. What I now sought to achieve was the superimposing of my image onto the screen of the sky. 
At first, it wavered. All I could see was blue. Then this began to blur, my eyes crossing somewhat, as if looking not directly at the sky, but out of the corners of my sight. This began to create a void, one I was able to weave my own images upon. The window? Yes, he sighed, but that was just the beginning. After a few moments of euphoria of success, I began to follow the visualization ritual to its conclusion. I began to open the curtains I'd implanted to the sky to seek what lay beyond the cool, pleasant blue we take for granted. And you saw something? A hallucination, perhaps? No hallucination, Percy. His eyes snapped back from the shadows to claim mine with an almost audible snap of energy. I nearly jumped. I saw a deepening, swirling void, Percy. There were no clouds, no dust, nothing at all but endless spirals. I felt drawn to their center, pulled, and I fancied that my back lifted from the solid surface beneath me, beginning to spin, turning with that vortex that spun faster, darker, and deeper every second within the squared expanse of the window I'd created. I ripped my eyes free with only the greatest of efforts, closing them and struggling frantically to erase them from the cursed image of that window. My arms and legs were numb, disconnected from my control, and the spinning sensation continued for what seemed an eternity. I was awash with nausea, unable to stabilize my turning stomach or my chaotic thoughts. Eventually, I awakened as if from a dream. My head ached as if I had single-handedly emptied a fifth of cheap scotch. I rose and looked about myself. It had grown dark. I glanced upward at the starry blackness, or where it should have been, and was struck immediately by a wave of vertigo, dropping me back to my knees. The world seemed to shift beneath me, the air to whirl. I clamped my eyes closed again and staggered to my feet. I'd never experienced such a terror, Percy. A fear to look upward. Feared I'd be sucked into the void and lost for eternities. When my own mind had resumed control, I ran. My eyes rooted to the ground beneath my feet. Eric, I cut in, alarmed. You mentioned a hallucinogenic drug. Were you... No, Percy, he stated earnestly. I swear to you that I was on nothing stronger than a single shot of scotch, and that several hours before, I saw what I saw, and it's still there. Percy, the sky's an illusion. Now certain that he was in dire need of help, I determined to get him out of the house. I placed my hand firmly upon his arm. Eric, you have to come with me, man. Look at yourself. This is insanity. But there's more. He cried, shaking free backing away slightly. Mirrors, Percy. They're not what they seem, either. I've seen, and have been seen, and we're not alone. Surely, you don't wish me to believe mirrors are conspiring to subjugate humanity? I tried to answer lightly. I'm an imaginative man. He's not that imaginative. Do not just, Percy, he cried, eyes flaring in anger. 
I'll show you, damn it all. You may laugh then, but you'll see. You'll see more than you wish. He leapt to his feet then, running to the hallway, almost scurrying. I followed as quickly as I could, intending to make certain he didn't escape me to return to that shadowed pit of a room. He stood when I found him, directly in front of the covered mirror. His countenance in the deepening shadow was spectral, ethereal. I shivered despite myself. Come, Eric demanded. Gaze into the mirror. You'll see. Reflections are merely a defense, a screen erected by our minds against comprehension of truth we want no part of. Come on, if you dare, and prove me insane. My heart pounded, crashing so loudly within my ears that I could feel the warm pulsing of blood through my veins, could hear the innermost workings of my body's organs. I could not at first do as he bid. Finally, I calmed somewhat, chiding myself for a fool. All right, Eric, I answered, moving and speaking slowly. I made every effort not to sound patronizing, no telling what his actions and reactions might be. I'll look into your mirror, straighten my hair, which I'm certain must be a sight, and then we'll march out together, you and I, and gaze at the stars. When this is all done, we'll take the wine I've brought, retire to my own apartment, and I shall call you a doctor. Agreed? He merely nodded, pleading in the depths of his eyes, reaching out to me to pull him free to prove he was wrong. My throat was strangely dry as I stepped forward, reaching up to grab the black covering and push it aside. Eric turned his head violently to the side as I did this, pressing his face into the wall. I paused for a moment, placing my hand reassuringly on his shoulder. He was shuddering. His weakened frame racked with convulsive sobs. My will hardened by the urgency of his need for help, I yanked aside the curtain and gazed, admittedly with great trepidation, into the glassy surface of the mirror. Almost immediately I breathed a sigh of relief. There, returning my stare, was my own face, lines of such seriousness increasing it that I had to favor myself with a laugh. Wiping my face with one sleeve, I reached up and straightened an unruly lock of hair before speaking. Now, Eric, I began. Here I am, staring back from your mirror, the only thing likely to abduct you, and that for your own good. Pry yourself from that wall and look. Then we're leaving. Very slowly, his movements stiff and disjointed. Eric pushed himself away from the wall. His head was lowered to the floor, and his voice, faintly, from beneath, low and subdued. You see what your mind projects, he said. I know they're there, waiting. My mind has lost its ability to protect me. I've pushed aside the veil. For God's sake, I cried, grabbing him roughly by the hair in my exasperation. Look at it, Eric, look! It's only your... I reeled backward, crashing painfully onto the opposite wall and falling to the floor. 
Eric screamed, screamed in terror beyond my comprehension, screamed until the very pressure or the sound blocked thought from my brain. I could see him standing, eyes glued to the mirror, waving back and forth, entranced. I could not rise to help. My mind wouldn't even consider it. His reflection, when I had raised him to the mirror, had not been there. Instead, a swirling blackness had appeared, a hole in the reflective surface, a nothingness. As I'd fallen back, reaching to cover my eyes, a movement had grasped at my mind. Eyes. I think they were eyes. Coalesced in the maelstrom of nothingness, staring. They'd seen me just before I fell away, and now they had Eric. I heard a scrabbling sound was something crawling free of that damnable hole? I looked up, fearing to the depths of my soul what I'd see. I followed the scratching sounds to their source, and I screamed. My mind blanked, bending with the sound, emptying of sanity. The scrabbling sound was Eric, his fingernails. They were clutching vainly at the sides of a black void that had replaced the mirror in its frame. His head was gone, up to the shoulders, sucked into the whirling morass of darkness. Scrambling through my hands and knees, I began to claw my way down the hallway, careening off walls, caroming from furniture. I broke a large vase and crawled through its shattered pieces, embedding them painfully in the flesh of my hands. The door loomed before me like the impenetrable wall of some vast fortress. Every shadow, every object, seemed to take on an ominous, otherworldly importance. Threats beckoned, thinly veiled, from pulsing shadows. My mind could not sort it out. Fumbled open the door, rushed outside, and ran, never stopping, never looking up, through the park, across darkened streets, and finally into my home. I've covered the mirrors and the windows. I've spoken to no one. Who could I tell? What if, in their ignorance, they tried to cure me as I did Eric? What if they put me before a mirror? Did I see what I believe I'd seen? Or was it some strange psychic projection from Eric's own madness? If he was right, were the walls around me solid or illusion? The floor? Could I tumble to hell by looking deeper into the wooden slats beneath me? There's no answer. Two choices have presented themselves to me. The first is this. I should go to the door, cast it open, and gaze into the cool, calming depths of the night-darkened sky. But I should go to Eric and drag him from the insanity he's enmeshed himself in so deeply that I'd been dragged behind beyond the strength of reason and rational thought. I've chosen the second called the emergency room at the hospital. They're on their way now. If my theory is correct, my memories should hold the world together as long as no further disruptive data reaches them. Two pencils are sharp. I only pray that my eyes are the key. At least, I shall never look again into a mirror. I will be safe.
I hope you enjoyed From My Reflection, Darkly, by David Niall Wilson, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed what you've heard tonight, I'd like to remind you one last time that tonight's featured author can be found by visiting our website. Just visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash David slash Wilson. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash D-A-V-I-D dash W-I-L-S-O-N. You can find links to his published novels, collections, or his imprint, Crossroads Press, for more versions of horror hiding just behind the veil. As a reminder, if you do decide to give tonight's talented author stories a read, please consider leaving him a quality review and a kind word, or a thoughtful public comment in an upvote, and be sure to let him know that you heard about them here on this program, and that me, Otis Jari, sent you. It means more to me than you can imagine, and I'm pretty sure David would very much appreciate it as well. Thanks again for your support of this show and of tonight's featured author. Now, before we go, I'd also like to take a moment to thank you personally for joining me on this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Our 11th season now underway. And if you've stayed with us through all of this time, stay tuned because there's far more to come. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, Please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You find yourself at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs. Or become a patron for as little as five bucks a month. You get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, all of it ad free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, Follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well, at the Otis Gyre channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram too. Just search for Otis Gyre. Until next week, as we continue Season 11, stay spooky and get some sleep, if you can. (laughs) Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. 
Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Programs artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, The Otis Jiry Channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs, or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.